Hey everyone, welcome to What Are You Watching? I'm Alex Witther and I'm joined by my best man, Nick Dostal. How you doing there, hangman? <laughs> I am good. I'm very good. <laughs> Come on, quickly, what's your call sign? Your Top Gun call sign. You're, you just got into the academy. What's your call sign? Give it to us. Superstar, baby. Super, oh my God. Jesus, how original. It might be knockout. I thought a lot about this. Ah. Knockout. That's good. We had some, I it mean, God, we have some new ones in this movie that were, oh, they're just so on point. But yeah, we're here. Top Gun Maverick. Everyone's seeing it. Everyone's talking about it. We usually don't jump on the, hey, the most popular movie in the world right now. Let's do a pod about it. But we really, really loved this movie, just like seemingly everyone else. There's virtually nothing to not love about it. It came out a week ago. I've already seen it twice. You saw it opening weekend. We love this movie. Tell me about it. I mean, it's everything that you could possibly want in a movie. Oh, it God. has it all. You're right. We don't usually talk about these types of movies. We don't really kind of harp on the movies that are the current it thing. Mm -hmm. But quite frankly, when you see something like this... It transcends all of the stuff that we usually talk about. It's just, it's the perfect blockbuster movie. It really is. And already after its first weekend, uh, Memorial Day weekend, it was the biggest opener of Cruz's career. That's nuts. And his biggest movie of all time, worldwide, box office numbers wise, is Mission Impossible Fallout. Awesome movie. With 792 million worldwide. This is going to beat that. It yeah. has to. Actually, first, it's kind of crazy that he's never had a movie gross like over a billion worldwide. That's really nuts to me. I didn't realize that until like this weekend. But all being said, Maverick is going to pass that. So this is going to be the biggest movie of his career. You privately, last time we were in person, you called this. You said this has to be like this this movie, it's so important that it like, not only should it be, does it have to be the biggest movie of his career? It has to be like one of the biggest ever to, and it has to be good because it has to kind of save movies. And, you know, we say this stuff a lot. First of all, you were right. It did have to do that. And it looks like it is, but I have this buried in our little outline here, but I'll just bring it up now. Like we hear this notion a lot that this is the movie we need right now. And <laughs> I, I, I hate to fall into the cliche, but I'm watching this movie twice now, especially the second time. And I'm like, people do need this right now. This, this shit is crazy out here. It's crazy outside. And here we have um, a pretty much apolitical movie. You don't really know who they're fighting against. It's never a big deal about what side they're fighting against. You have something that makes everyone feel good. It's really easy to watch. It's really fun. And there's no, you know, inherent drama surrounding it. And I've been in two screens, two different movie theaters, and people are going nuts in both the whole time cheering. And I, I don't know. It's just maybe don't put on the news for three hours and get the hell out there and watch this movie. I, right. Isn't that like a better way to spend? It's more productive and positive way to spend three hours. I feel like. And we don't really, I mean, especially coming off like Gaspar podcast, you know, we <laughs> sometimes relish and cherish the movies that are difficult to watch. This is not one of those. There's a reason why everyone's liking it and seeing it and it's making a ton of money. I think that's very funny that we are really kind of coming off of the Gaspar with this one, a complete dichotomy. We're giving people a break. I mean, I actually wanted to, I, well, this has nothing to do with anything. It's just going to veer us off course, but I actually Perfect. wanted to talk to you about Ray because uh. I did that mini-sode and 
Uh, okay, yeah, Tangent City, just real quick, real quick. I've got a lot of really nice messages from people via text, via Twitter and Instagram DM about that mini-sode I did on Ray Liotta, because I recorded that like 30 minutes after I found out he died. And I, I mean, I sound like I'm about to cry in a few instances, because I actually was. So I really appreciate the, uh, you know, everyone giving some love for that, but that was just really tough. And, you know, I wanted to all by way of saying that it's hard out there. It's hard out there right now, folks. There's a lot going on that is just tough. And that's one of them. Yeah. I love that minisode you did for him. I felt that that was a true, true, really, really like personal and emotional, for lack of a better term, love letter to an actor Mm -hmm. that had meant something to you for his life. And yeah, I don't even know what to say. It's just so sad. And it's it's one of those actors who he had a presence that just no one else could really ever touch. Like there there was a certain type of intensity that he brought to everything that he did and it had humor too. Like he could do mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. all. Exactly. He could be menacing, he could be lovely, he could be the father, he could be a son. Like he could he he really ran the gamut and you know, he never really kind of got outside of a few of those leading roles, mm-hmm. but almost didn't matter because every movie he was in, he stole the damn show. Yeah. And that's not even something I mentioned. I was like texting you, I think, about his lack of lead roles. And when you when you do add them all up, whether start at Goodfellas and then go through even all like the B-list movies he was in, the, all those movies I love, like Turbulence. He really didn't get to play that leading man a lot, but he never seemed like angry or bent out of shape about it. He just took the role that was best for him. You know, the first right after I recorded that, I'm like, what movie do I watch? Because I actually just watched Goodfellas, like rewatched it two weeks ago just for the hell of it. And I put on um, Identity. I think I said in the minisode, like, I might have to put that on. And he's great in that movie. Yeah, like, he's, he's awesome so in it. so good in it. Just every little uh, part he's playing, everything he's doing in it, I'm watching it going, first of all, he's in it way more than I remembered. And he's just so good. And I, again, I cannot say enough how important of a movie Copland is. I was yeah. thrilled to see that the rewatchables covered that because that's a really famous movie podcast. And I hope people go see that. But he really, he's in Copland a lot. And just, yeah, uh, you know, way off course here, but... Yeah, Ray. God. Let's talk about Top Gun Maverick. What's it about? <laughs> what is it about? I promise we'll stay on course because this is a cruise pod. Cruise, though, did executive produce NARC, which features one of Ray Liotta's best roles. So I, I made the connection. There we go, because we're going to talk about his career later. Back to Maverick. Plot description. No spoilers here. Do I really even need to talk about what the hell this movie's about? Um, I'll say you don't need to talk about it because... <laughs> you don't really... You honestly don't even need to have seen the original in order to get this movie. That is how accessible this fucker is. We could start there, honestly. That yeah. You really don't need to have seen the original. I've, I'm seeing a lot online of people who just weren't interested in watching it and they're still having a blast with Maverick. And they do, you know, quick flashbacks. They're a little cheesy, but you get every, everything that you would need to get, You yep. they give you. And they make it clear through really fun delivered expository dialogue that never got stale to me because it's like ed harris just gruffing it out and you're like yeah man i love you ed come in for a seed god i love him but no (laughs) you really i don't even need to explain what this new one is about but you know maverick is still running solo he's still a real 
Maverick. He has purposefully not advanced through the Navy rankings. He's still a captain so that he can fly. Early in the film, definitely not going to say how, but he pisses off his bosses in spectacular fashion. Oh my God, it was such a good way to open a movie. I was like, I any hesitation or reservation I had about this movie, I'm so sold now within your first 15 minutes. Like, thank you, movie star Tom Cruise. Yep. God. Maverick is then called back to Top Gun after this crazy stunt, and he is called back to train the best of the best for a potentially fatal mission. That's all you need. You didn't even need that much. And, you know, like I mentioned, it's not really clear who they're training to fight, what's going on, and it's just crazy to see this big of a movie that had no interest in politics at all, which is, again, it's just really wild, you know? I That's one of the reasons I really liked it. It allows anyone and everyone watching it to have a good time. It's great. It is. It follows so much of the formulaic structure that we oftentimes on this podcast tend to persuade audiences to leave behind. Not like permanently. We're we're more encouraging audiences to give movies that aren't like this a chance. But sometimes a movie this big is just this damn fun and this damn good. But yeah. (laughs) And it's not just the formula. I mean, they did it right. I mean, they, Mm -hmm. they, they nailed every single beat of this movie. So this is an example of that structure working at a top, (laughs) <laughs> a Top Gun level. Oh, yeah. Nice. Like that knockout. <laughs> what, exactly. Knockout. Damn right. What superstar. Jesus. Talk to me about your relationship with the original. Were you a fan? Were, was it like a big part of your life? Because I was born the year before this, the original came out. You were born the year the original came out. I mean, I'll just go first. Like this thing was everywhere growing up. It was in everyone's house on VHS. It was on TV constantly. I mean, virtually all the time. But it was never one of my movies. I appreciated the odd cultural like cachet that it achieved quickly and has even gotten bigger and bigger over the decades. But I've um, I've honestly never thought it was a particularly good movie. I thought it was more iconic than anything. But if you are like me and you watch or rewatch the original the night before you see Maverick. It is like watching two completely different films. I mean, based on technical achievement alone, which we are going to get to, Maverick just breezes by the original. It's such a much, much better movie. But what is your relationship to Tony Scott's 1986 cult classic, Top Gun? (laughs) I kind of had the same as you. Yeah. I didn't. I mean, you're right. I mean, the time that we were growing up, that was one of the movies that people our age or older just worshipped. Like, this was, like, the movie. Everybody loved Top Gun. So I think I saw it, I don't know, I must have been eight maybe the first time I saw it. And I knew, like, the reputation the movie had. And I just didn't fall into it. I liked it. I I didn't dislike it by any stretch. But, like... There, I had, I have much deeper connections to other movies of that time period other than Top Gun. But that being said, I got what I needed to get out of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can't, you can't deny "Take My Breath Away." Oh, that yeah. is no. just like one of the most iconic song to movie relationships that there is. It won I mean, the Oscar for best original dun, song. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 great and. I don't even know how you do it because of the of the cheesiness of that movie. You really do fall for the Tom Cruise storyline in it. Oh yeah. And the whole thing with Goose, 
I mean, that's the movie. That's really the movie. That is the most important aspect of the movie, especially upon rewatching it. I think for me, seeing it when I did, you know, in 1986, that was a landmark action film. My friend Taylor, it's still one of his favorite movies because he's a little older than me. Yeah, sorry. And <laughs> when he saw it, like an action movie like that wasn't really. That's like that was a bar, a new bar for action film. But by the time you and I are seeing action films, we're seeing Lethal Weapon, Die Hard. You know, that was a genre that kept graduating at a very, very fast pace and it kept one upping each other. So, like, I was really into like Cliffhanger. Honestly, I know I bring that movie up a lot, but like Point Break and Cliffhanger were my bars. And by that, Top Gun didn't really have as exciting of action to me. And as digital effects got better and with things like Jurassic Park or even other movies in the air the visual effects in Top Gun began to look more and more dated to me and by now they look very very dated but in 1986 they wouldn't have and you know no one can predict that stuff and that is wow that's all gonna go by way of saying how honestly startling it is to see Maverick on a big screen and see that they actually have cameras on those planes and all those actors are in the fucking air like it's nuts and you bob and you weave yeah. with them and you're you're really and when they accomplish something like I was like I wasn't screaming out loud but I was definitely like doing the you know the slow the small like fist pump in my chair <laughs> but absolutely bobbing and weaving and the second time I saw it the first time was in the AMC Dolby, which has like perfect sound. The second time was on an IMAX screen. I cannot recommend that highly enough. It, I mean, it really, really blew me away. It was like shaking the seats, but I purposely sat all the way in the back to watch. I wanted to watch the audience. And I mean, half the crowd is bobbing, weaving, ducking stuff. Oh, it was great. All ages. It was great. The movie does a great job of explaining to you what their mission is. This isn't a spoiler at all. No, but not at all. When the big thing that this team has to do, they really run you through what that mission is in the air. Uh -huh. So when all of a sudden you start seeing the flying being applied to what you know in your head, the aerial dynamics make so much sense, even though you would have no idea what that actually means. Right. So the bobbing and weaving, I think, is also not just because of the great camera work, but it's because you actually know so like when they're dipping down, you know that they're dipping down because they have to go through here. So you understand it on, um, I don't know what the word is. Well, it's very organic. Like yeah. they, make, they have a way of explaining things and they go through things, you know, multiple times, but it's never stale. So it's, it's a really tricky balance of a movie this big where you don't want to treat your audience like an idiot by like over explaining, over explaining. But you still, it's a movie of this size. It's a huge yeah. studio movie. So you still have to carry people along a little bit. But they do that in such a fresh way that, you know, in most every action movie, we know what the stakes are before going into the third act. We know what the stakes are. You know, in most superhero movies, it's like the world's going to end or someone's going to take over, whatever it is. This movie does a good job of letting you know what the stakes are. But we don't always know about that journey of how they are going to pull it off. You may get yeah. like a cursory knowledge of it, but you're right. Like you're invested right there with the pilots. And of course you want them to succeed, but you get, they have, they explain so well why they need to do what they do, how they need to do it and why that benefits the overall mission. And then you have, I mean, just Cruz at the helm doing his thing. It's a, it's just so impressive throughout, throughout. Like I want to explain a little bit about, the process of this because a lot of people may not know that they filmed this in from May 
2018 to April 2019. This is a long time ago when they shot this. Yeah. The big publicized release date was always May 2020. And this was obviously publicized pre-COVID. COVID happens and he holds it and he holds it. A lot of movies were doing this. Most all of them came out on streaming or they had like a short theatrical run and then went to streaming. And Cruz, who's a producer on Maverick, has said, I'm not doing that. And I really cannot credit him enough for really sticking to that because the amount of pressure with we're talking years literally year after year he's delaying he's delaying he's holding because he does not want to release it on streaming first it's it's amazing that he was able i mean it's tom cruise he can do whatever he wants right but to basically hold hostage a movie for over a year over two, like, and, yes, you're right. Hold it hostage, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, essentially, yeah, because he he knew that this was a movie that has to be seen in the theaters, mm-hmm. and it does. It, it, it's it's almost kind of like a, a Nolan movie in that way where it, it will not, I think it will, it'll still hold up when you watch it on TV, but it's not going to be the same experience. We say that, but I, I don't know because that, that surround sound is doing like, so much oh, if you don't so- see it in the theater it'll still be a good movie at home it will but if you cannot hear those planes yeah. sound like they are literally flying past you and i know sound has gotten really good at home you can fork out some dough and do really well with it just ain't gonna be the same though that's all i'm saying i mean I, nope. i'm really encouraging people go see this y- you have to like it's it's a it's a goddamn must you gotta go see it in <laughs> theaters and and Tom Cruise is right. He was right yeah. to hold it hostage. He was right to wait until the right time where audiences go. And then look what's happening. This is how I knew this was going to happen. I was like, there's no way that Tom Cruise is going to bet the farm. You know, he knows that a $170 million movie is going to make that money back. And if it doesn't, then he might be done. You know, that might have been it, like the first flop or the first bomb of Tom Cruise's career. No, well, I just, well, he's had many, many bombs, but he's been able to, and we're going to get to his career, like most recently, The Mummy in 2017, mm-hmm, which was supposed mm-hmm. to be this huge franchise yeah. starter. That thing tanked and tanked hard. He, but, but, however, to your point, I do not think Maverick could have it couldn't have been that it could have really really harmed him if maverick sucked like it could have really really hurt his career yeah and uh and one thing i'll also say too before we go on is that i also thought that when i heard this was coming out like sometimes we kind of get you know we poo poo sequels in this day and age Mm -hmm. this was actually one that i was like i think that's actually a good idea (laughs) <laughs> like when I heard yeah, that they I were wasn't doing opposed it. to it. I mean, they're yeah. doing it with so many things now. Like it, that's that's where we're at. We are recycling IP where yeah. most of these things I see, it's just I'm like, oh wow, now I mean we're gonna it's it is coming where they're they are remaking movies that we grew up with and they're just gonna oh, yeah. start remaking them. It's like holy shit. This no, I didn't mind. When I saw the news, I went, Well, I guess that just makes sense with where pop culture is heading. But when I saw how much he was putting into it, I was like, Yeah, okay, he's treating this this is different. This he's there are way more stakes involved on a lot of levels. I want to talk about some of the people who, in addition to Cruz, made this film possible. The director Joseph Kaczynski, I mean, we already talked about his insistence on using practical effects, mounting the cameras to the planes, real flying, 
incredible. I, it would have been so challenging to cut all of this together because I didn't have one camera on each plane. I listened to some interviews with him. They have like six to eight cameras on each plane. You have to cut all that together. Uh, just the amount of time and work it would have gone into this is. But all that work really paid off. Not relying on digital effects like, oh, and this is a guy, his previous movies include Tron Legacy, Oblivion, that was his first time working with Cruz, Only the Brave, and Spiderhead, which is a Netflix movie with Miles Teller that comes out in a few weeks, actually. Oh, wow. This is a guy who knows how to use digital effects, and Tron Legacy is a cool-looking movie. Like, it has some really cool stuff in it. The forest fires he creates and Only the Brave are astounding to watch. They're really, that's a really good movie, honestly. But I like that he went the other way here. And he's like, no, we're going to do it practical. That's Tom Cruise likes to do that too. So I just want to give some shout out to him because he did a, a wonderful job here. He really, truly did. When you've got a movie star producer like like Tom Cruise, who's basically what he says goes. Right. And then having a director direct the movie, that collaboration, I always find those dynamics to be the most interesting. Mm-hmm. Like whenever yeah. an actor kind of like kind of clouts a director in a way. It can be a very symbiotic relationship, but it's not the the norm of what that that process is used to. Yeah, that is. I mean, we're going to talk about this in our second half of the show when we focus just on Cruise. But if you look at the directors, like in order, the ones that he works with now are largely not to put it crudely, but people that he can control to one degree or another. You mm-hmm. do not see Oliver Stone anymore. You don't see Steven Spielberg anymore. You don't see. Michael Mann, that's a, I still can't believe that happened. It, it's very interesting that he doesn't work with these type of directors anymore. But, but a huge caveat here is I have always wondered if he is going to go back to that and go back yeah. to taking more character based work, not more Tom Cruise work. I don't know how much more Tom Cruise work he has left in him in terms of action star Cruise. The dude's 60, so I don't know. But a lot of times when he has handpicked directors like this and maybe he's producing the film maybe not it has not worked out very well and you know there are some in the past decade some of the movies that just don't hit as well as movies earlier in his career or you know the 90s and early 2000s this is one if not the best example of it working very very well so good in it it's just a great pairing it's awesome well let's talk about tom cruise in this movie what did you think of his actual like so now we're we're stepping away from the magnitude of the movie itself and talking about Cruz's performance in this. Well, again, what was so interesting about watching the original the night before, he's so much better in this movie just as an actor. I mean, the yeah. decades and decades of work, he has gotten better as a performer. We don't really get to see him flexing his full acting muscle in a lot of the action roles he picks now. And we've talked about this. Like, I get it. I get what he's doing. This man can act, and he can act damn well. Yes. We are going to get to it. I grew up seeing him give stellar performances. But whether it's a notion of getting his money up while he is uh, perhaps our last great living movie star, whether it's, you know, just not even fighting against age, just understanding like I'm not going to be able to jump off of buildings and fly out of airplanes in 10 years because I'm going to be 70 years old. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the dude is just going to no, go. He's going <laughs> to. Yeah, maybe he's just. But at some point, <laughs> things will have to slow down and there isn't too many leading roles for like 70 year old men right now. There just aren't. But there are a lot of really, truly great supporting roles for 70 year old men. So that's what I'm wondering. All by way of saying he's so good in this. 
you know, Maverick is the original, is the movie that kind of made him a movie star. He was he was going, he was on track, risky business, all the right moves. But Top Gun really, really sealed it. But he's like, you know, I want this, I hope this movie makes me a star. Now we're in a situation where he's our last great movie star. And this is this could be one of his last truly great movie star performances. I mean, I it, it was just a joy to watch, basically. What'd you think of him? I thought that he was just amazing. I loved the I loved the idea just in stories in general of the solo guy. Yeah. And um and I wasn't expecting what I got. I, I wasn't expecting anything, but I was not expecting to see this character, and this isn't spoiling anything because it's from the start of the movie, but he's really on his own. He, yeah. He's got yeah. he's got nobody. He's not upset about it. But there is a longing that's there. Mm-hmm. And I actually thought that more than anything, that that longing from his performance is what anchored the movie from all of its spectacle. At the end of the day, we're actually following Maverick's story. And his story is really what you're hanging on to the whole entire time. I thought it worked very well. And I thought he as he always does, nails it. We'll talk about this more about the movie star actor of Tom Cruise because I think he's both. This is one where when you look at a movie like this, it has to Mm -hmm. work. You have to rely on your actor to be believable and to anchor it with heart. That's basically the job. You can act all you want, but as a movie star, your job is to make that work. You got to make this work. Right. And he does. Oh, he really, really does. And, you know, when you watch the original, that's just a guy with nothing to lose. He's out there on his own. He's doing it. Yeah. And this is 40 years later. And now you're kind of feeling the effects and the isolation of that. Like, that's how you've lived your whole life. But yeah, he's not some curmudgeon. Like, he's still an upbeat guy. He has a sense of humor to him. And throughout the film, it was a joy to watch him with everyone. You know, Miles Teller, we're going to get to his role, but he plays this. He plays Goose's son. That's not giving anything away. Their dynamic, which. When I heard, oh, Goose's son is going to be in this, I was like, okay, so he's going to be mad at him because he's going to think he's responsible for killing my dad. That's what I assumed. That's what I took into it. And when I saw that that was not where they were going with it, I was just so proud. I went, okay, smartass, talking to myself, like, okay, don't don't try to yeah. like call this movie out before you've seen it. And they kept doing nice little deviations like that. And it was, you know, Jennifer Connelly shows up as she's like this bar owner near the Top Gun Academy. She is, I mean, Jennifer Connelly's just, my God, my God, I love her. You can't not stunning. love her. She's, stunning. she's an absolutely stunning woman. Great actor as well. I've loved her, I mean, from way back, once upon a time in America. Just I've loved her forever. Their dynamic is so interesting and just so gentle, and I loved watching them together. He's just great bouncing off everyone from the young, cocky kids to a love interest who's actually close to his age, which I really appreciated too. Just great. It was a great, great performance from him. The other people rounding out this cast, we have John Hamm, who, you know, I love him so much. It is a little hard sometimes to not see him as Don Draper. And I'm like, oh, what do you all by way of saying, like, I thought he got much better as the movie went on. And, you know, he's playing like a poser villain character who has to fight against Maverick. And uh, that character, that like stock character has to exist. But I was kind of like, okay, he's he's getting it. But then by the end, I was really on board with him, really on board. I feel like everyone who watched Mad Men and really enjoyed that show, I feel like we communally agree 
that we want John Hamm to succeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, we do want to see him in a role that is befitting of what Don Draper was. Maybe that is a insurmountable task to ask of anyone. Mm-hmm. John Hamm has worked quite a bit. Oh, yeah. And I've honestly loved him in everything. Even movies that I wasn't necessarily the biggest fan of, he's the one that's always like, he's my favorite part about Baby Driver. Mm-hmm. It's just watching right, John right. Hamm do John Hamm stuff. And, and I'm so glad that he was in this. But I think it, we're yearning for John Hamm to get something to where it, he can just take off. Strap yeah. that rocket ship to him. Make him a superstar, baby. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> nice knockout. Uh, yeah, okay, we yeah. got a. I kind of breezed over Miles Teller, but let's give him his due. He's had a, a yeah. career. <laughs> he's had a career w- where he's been in films that I like him a lot. Things like Rabbit Hole, Whiplash, of course, Only the Brave, which I mentioned. I think he's had a harder career off screen that makes some of his. It makes him easy to judge on screen for people who pay attention to these sort of sorts of things. I'm not really bothered by him in any capacity, but I thought he was really great in this. And it's too. really nice to see him play a slightly, you know, nervous. He, he His character in this movie definitely had confidence, but he wasn't the cocky Iceman character. And that's who I thought he was going to be. Again, me bringing false assumptions into it. I think, you know, he reminds me of these days of what the old school, like 90s bad boy was. Like when you looked at, Guys like Johnny Depp and uh, Brad Pitt from back in the 90s, people had problems with them and their off-screen personalities, but that was actually part of their their lure. But Miles Teller certainly seems to be that guy that has this reputation, but his performances always fucking deliver. So I'm kind of, I kind of almost in a way am now intrigued by him in terms of whatever comes next. Well, he's in this, yeah, he's in this new Spiderhead movie yep. for the same director, for Kaczynski, that comes out on the 17th of June. So, yeah, we're going to see. And it's like, all right, yeah, give me all the bad press. Give me all of this. I'm just going to go in here and I'm going to kill it. I, that's, I guess, basically the way I put it is you cannot deny Miles Teller. <laughs> he definitely has a career that I'm very interested to see where it goes because young actors nowadays i don't believe that there are young movie stars anymore but young actors of his generation who don't play the corporate game yeah by having the perfect social media platform where you're you know doing all that you're supporting everything that your publicist tells you to support where you're you know not getting in trouble at all outside basically anyone in like marvel in those in that world yeah they are playing the game and i'm not hating on them at all that's just the game they're playing People like Miles Teller, I think to a more uh, severe degree, Shia LaBeouf, who has, I would say, a a host of problems. But the talent, when it's on screen, you're like, damn, there's something. It's just interesting to see actors from that generation behave that way, but still give good performances. That's all. You were naming actors of like the 90s. A counterpart to this would be Val Kilmer in the 80s and 90s. Always represented as this bad boy, but gave really good performances. Not all the time, but sometimes he gave (laughs) all-timers, like in Tombstone. Genuinely, like that's an all-time performance. Never had the best reputation, but how'd you feel about seeing Iceman return for his one scene? It was just so, it was just so lovely. It was. I I was nervous about it because I knew so I knew I. where he's at in his life, and I knew like you know like Val Kilmer's going through some health issues. He he can't speak very well these days. Um, still looks pretty good, but 
seeing him on screen, I was like, how is this going to go? And I thought they built him up so well. Like, we won't give away how they did it, but it made the intrigue there. And and then when we actually saw the performance, it was lovely. And I I liked the way they did it. I didn't think it was going to work as well as it did. Yeah, well said. Well said. And the whole time I was watching it, you know, they they got a little, I'm not going to reveal what it was, but they get a little joke in there at the end. And you really need that. It really just... Oh wow, this really meant a lot to both of them. Like you can just tell it did. And what that what it what it means for Val to even show up in a scene. Like it it means a lot. And I it was just great. So if you particularly if you are a fan of the original, wow, it just it would have hit really hard. Final note on the acting. My favorite line delivery in the whole movie, I will not say the context it's in, but it is when Hangman proudly says the word damn in his seat and that is oh it was just so great to see glenn powell who we loved as finnegan in everybody wants some and this is tom cruise's movie maverick is tom cruise's movie but every single scene this guy was in he stole the shit out of it and i loved him in this movie he he has just this innate charisma that is just off the charts i've seen him because obviously Everybody wants them. I mean, th- I mean that movie is chock full of so many great performances, as I always like to talk about. But I think he is basically the best part of that movie. Yeah. And so I've taken an active interest in all of the work he's done since then. And there's some romantic comedies that he's done where he just makes it work. Yeah. He just yeah. like completely understands the assignment, as the new expression goes. Uh, and this is just, I think, the first movie since Everybody's Want Some where he got to truly shine. And man, he shines He shines against Cruz. He really does. Ooh. I mean, he's really playing the Iceman role here as Hangman. I Extremely arrogant, extremely cocky, you know, million dollar smile. He just, oh, yes. he's so, so great. And I cannot, I can't wait to see where his career goes. I hope it's I hope good directors are reaching out to him saying, you know, come on over. I want to work with you because this career deserves more than anyone else's in the movie, I think, to really take off from this. Seriously. Strap a rocket to his back. Make him a superstar, baby. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) One, two, three. Knockout, bitch. Knockout. (laughs) Top Gun Maverick. Should people go see this in the movie theater right now? No. Yes, they should. (laughs) Please go. And if you need other reasons to go see it, we're going to give you a whole bunch because we've never really had a proper way to talk about Tom Cruise on the podcast. He's someone who comes up, you know, on PTA. We're talking about Magnolia. He comes up here and there. And we always talk about him with fond appreciation because we love him. But we're going to go into the second part of this podcast and just quickly go through this 40-year career, 40 years of being a genuine American movie star. And that's one of the reasons why I love him. He's a reliable movie star. Not all of his movies are masterpieces, but I, for the most part, almost always enjoy watching him. You have guys like Paul Newman, Robert Redford, iconic movie stars, not always in perfect films, but I always wanted to watch them. And I've always liked Cruise. When did you get into Cruise? What was like your first experience with him not only like what was the first movie you saw that he was in but what was the first one where you were like that's my cruise movie that's my cruise performance no i i started noticing because like my mom was so into the movies of like the early 90s 
And um, so I think my first experience is watching him were from far and away in Days of Thunder. I think Interview with the Vampire, though, that was the first time I saw him where I really noticed. Because with the other two, I was like, oh, okay, that's Tom Cruise. That was kind of it. Right. But then Interview with the Vampire, I go, wait, that's Tom Cruise? Oh, Wow. He's really relishing. Well, I I didn't speak like that when I was a kid, but um, I was like, wow, he's really good in this. (laughs) Well, interesting that you bring that one up. I think for a lot of people our age, that was the first movie they really noticed him in because a very rare Tom Cruise performance in which he changes his appearance. He still looks beautiful, of course, but the long hair, all that stuff. But that was I think that was the first time I saw him really, really change his the way that he looked. And there's like one credit that I want to give to Tom Cruise that I think he's done that speaks to the era of his whole entire career is that he's gotten the opportunities to play the career. Like when he was young, he was the guy playing the leading man roles of that young guy that you want to see. Yeah, the naval fighter pilot, the bartender, the hustler pool player. Yeah, yeah, the veteran soldier. Yeah. All the great young man roles Mm -hmm. he got to play and then he aged out of in the best possible way because then he started becoming the man with the action roles. Yep. And now as we're seeing him, especially I think this is his first movie where it really seems like Not that it really Top Gun Maverick addresses age in that way, but there is an aspect of it where I think Cruz is leaning into, I am not that young guy anymore. I am who I am right now. Well, I mean, there's a really key scene. Again, no spoilers. It's a very funny scene in Maverick when he is being ridiculed over and over of his age yes and as a movie star who's also producing the movie that's his choice to allow that so even by doing that he is embracing his age a little bit and calling it out something else i really appreciated about the movie and his performance yeah yep so that's one one of the things that i love about his career is that he really has cornered the market on all the roles that you'd want to have as an actor lifelong longevity career Yeah. So I had an older brother growing up and three years older and whatever movies he wanted to watch, whatever was on was I had no choice but to watch it. For whatever reason, that boy took hold of Cocktail. And when I tell you Cocktail was on and on and on (laughs) so much when I was a kid. So God, I've seen that movie. I can't even tell you. So that was my first big cruise movie, like Cocktail, just watching it over and over. This not particularly good bartender movie, but what a gem it is. And then A Few Good Men is probably the first one that I started to own because that was, I mean, own is like, this is Tom Cruise is a good actor. Like I, God, I love that movie so, so much. Yeah, it's so good. Following your track, Every single year that we've been alive as fans of movies, he has given us something to watch. It may not have always been the best, but just looking at his career, he's never let you forget that he's there. And that that's something a movie star has to do. But more often than not, I find myself really appreciating watching his performances. And I think, I, I don't know, when people hate on him, I honestly think that has something to do with other than the work. I do not think it's about the oh, work. Yeah. And if you've seen every single one of his movies, you know that he is able to take on different characters and he's able to give us at just very, very good range. And I cannot 
wait to see. I mean, we're going to keep talking about this, but I cannot wait to see where this post-Ethan Hunt career goes. Because I don't know if these two coming up are his end of his reign as Ethan Hunt in the Mission Impossible movies. That's what I'm hearing. That'll be a huge, huge turning point for his career because he, you know, will he still be making action movies as a 65 year old? This is, I don't know, but it's fascinating to think about. And my final thing I'll say about that is like the best comparison I can give is that will Tom Cruise do a verdict type role like what Paul Newman did? Will Tom Cruise do a Paul Newman type role in The Color of Money where like Tom Cruise is playing the aged older guy who has this mentor? That's what, you know, put Cruise and PTA back together and it's going to be bliss like old Cruise together. It's going to be bliss. I've been saying that for years. But anyway, we're going to move on here. Do you have any Cruise gaps? I I will start because I don't want to seem like I've had seen them all. I had not seen Taps, Far and Away, which was crazy, or Valkyrie ever. So I actually watched all of those in the last, you know, day and a half. And that was fun to finally fill in those spaces. But how about you? Any big gaps? I have a lot. I have a lot. Oh, I I am pretty much up up until Top Gun. uh, All the movies that made him a star, I haven't seen. I've never seen Risky Business. You would I've never seen Cocktail. Business. You would love Risky Business. Out. I've never money? seen Valkyrie. Oh, Color Money, I love. V- Valkyrie, uh, you can skip. <laughs> and outside of one in three, I haven't seen any of the Mission Impossible movies. Yeah, that's interesting. I wondered if that was going to be the case because they are, they're just really something else. Like one, two, and three are their own thing. And then he clearly makes a decision of like, okay, I gave one of each of these to a different director, but now I'm becoming more of a movie star. You know, it took some, took a long time off because number three was in 2006 and then Ghost Protocols in 2011. And it honestly seemed like Ghost Protocol, he was going to pass it off to Jeremy Renner and Jeremy Renner was going to become the new Ethan Hunt type. But that movie had so many awesome sequences that they just kept doing that. And now they keep upping it, upping it. And they're actually surprisingly really good movies. And it's it's exactly it's just an American James Bond. That's all it is. But but I would really love to get your opinion on those if you check them out. I I have nothing against them. I I just for whatever reason once they started, I think I missed the very first one. Uh, that that it seemed like that departure happened. Yeah, the, is it uh, Rogue Nation? Ghost Protocol would be the first one oh. where like the departure took place. Yeah, and so I missed that one, and then I was like, all right, I I missed out on this one. It's gonna be a. I, I can't imagine when I'm gonna watch this one to catch up for the new one. Then it just became a thing. But I have a feeling. I'm going to have to watch them because these new ones that are coming out, parts one and two of um, Dead Reckoning seem to be – what a name. I know. <laughs> <laughs> what a name. Uh, they, they they seem like they're probably going to up the ante in terms of like these action movies for today. Well, what's really – I mean also what a flex. Like before Top Gun Maverick starts, you get the trailer for Dead Reckoning part one yep. and it says next year because that movie's not coming out till summer 2023. Like that, that is a movie star flex and then part two is summer 2024. So he's just good. Like he's got, yeah, he's he's got his next movie star roles planned out. I would love to hear your take. I'm actually showing Allie every Mission Impossible movie because she's never seen them and we've only gotten through the first one, which she loved. But I went uh, – part two is – I'll love to get your take on that. 
that. And then part three is its own thing. But then they get, he gets funnier. He he's dead serious in part one. Like he's so serious, Yeah. but that he, it starts to like take the piss out of things a little more. I bring this up because, and that preview for dead reckoning part one, he has the same type of haircut that he had in the first movie. And, you know, they're bringing that guy back, you know, Kendrick. I can't. Oh, that's so cool. So I wonder if it's going to be like a more serious tone, but they're really good movies. I mean, we could do we honestly you could watch all those and then we could do an entire podcast just on those movies. And it would be a lot of fun, like a ton of fun. I'm down for that. <laughs> all right. Well, then let me go. Let me go back. Risky business. You would like a lot. All the right moves was never one of mine. It wasn't really a huge one for me. Legend is a Ridley Scott, a bit of a misfire. I'm not, I'm not the biggest fan. Top Gun. I think we talked about enough. The color of money to me is his first, like honestly, truly great character performance started even with that damn shirt that just says Vince in all the stuff that he's doing in it. I remember taking note of that movie and that performance really young and understanding like the hustling aspect because hustling is a big part of a lot of fun movies. I mean, even things like Rounders, just like, you know, the bob and weave, you're shaking, you're grifting in the streets and really taking to like, oh, there's a hustle way beyond just what's on the surface. And I just thought it was so cool. I love him in that movie. I love this movie, by the way. I do too. I think it's it's one of those movies that just, it, it, it goes under the radar of Scorsese filmography yeah all like most of his 80s yeah i mean everything really it goes under the radar of newman's career of cruz's career scorsese but that movie is an absolute gem and speaking to my point of him earlier i think that is the ultimate like young man role like that cocky oh yeah like that scene where he's twirling oh yeah (laughs) and and he's singing to the song he's like oh his hair was perfect yeah like that is a one-of-a-kind role that not a lot of people can play, and he is just absolutely perfect for it. Oh, couldn't agree more. Cocktail, I mentioned. Cocktail's fun because uh, a lot has been made about this, but I'm not certain if Tom Cruise is like ever actually had an alcoholic beverage in his life so it's always fun to watch him <laughs> pretend like he has to drink on film and playing a bartender at cocktails just i don't know it's just a lot of fun <laughs> it's good acting on his part i'll put it that way rain man this is the only movie he's been in that is one best picture that's a pretty interesting fact for a movie star of his size just going off dustin hoffman like this is this is when he wasn't just doing movie star roles. He knew the value of going yep. and playing the second. And I mean, this is such a good example of it. This is actually a really good movie that it has moments of like uh, really shocking emotional horror, but also him and Hoffman are really funny together sometimes. Like, yes, did you, they are. Did you fucking fart? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> When's the last time you saw Born on the Fourth of July? Oh, it's been a long time. Has it? It was a really long time for me as well. I went on a little... Oliver Stone kick a few months ago and added that one to it. He's very, very good in it. This was definitely campaigned and it was positioned for him to win the Oscar. We've talked about this Oscar a lot, but here he's playing real life Vietnam veteran Ron Kovic. It is a, it's a flawless performance. It's just by way of the Oscars, not quite as good as Daniel Day Lewis and my left foot. And that's, that's the only time in my opinion it shook out against Cruz in a way that was fair because we'll talk about his other Oscar nominations. But I and I already mentioned this. I would love to see Cruz work with a director as challenging as Oliver Stone again with like an auteur. It, it would just I don't know it. You know, will we get an Oliver Stone performance, a PTA performance, a Barry Levinson? I don't know. Cameron Crowe. I, you know, will we get one of those? I, I'm sure we will. I'm sure we will. 
Days of Thunder, you fan of this one? I remember it being like just a fun movie to watch when I was a kid, but I did try to put this on a couple of years ago and I was like, yeah, I guess, I don't know. It's just, it's always funny to watch a star cruise and a director, Tony Scott, try to recapture that lightning in the bottle from their first movie, in this case, Top Gun. And it doesn't really work the same way, but I don't know. I always remember this as being like kind of a fun, silly movie. <laughs> well, I mean, it is, but it's funny that you mentioned it because, um, like one of my really good friends, this is like his favorite movie of all time. Oh, I know. <laughs> and so, but because of that, like, like we always talk about, like you, you, like someone who you hold dear, you find out what their favorite movie right. is, right? And your relationship to it changes. And plus, also, I remember growing up, my uncle was a giant NASCAR fan. So, like, but he took it kind of seriously, and the movie is not a serious <laughs> no, movie. No, that's what I mean. Not at all. Not at all. Superstar, far and away, baby. which again, I just <laughs> far and away, which I just watched for the first time. Uh, not my favorite Ron Howard movie. Not my favorite Cruise performance. That's okay. A few good men is also that year, nineteen ninety two. That's just an all timer. You cannot say enough good things about Lieutenant Daniel Caffey. Just by simply being able to literally go toe to toe with Nicholson like that. What what a feat. Yep, the whole movie is just goddamn great. The Firm was a movie that was so slow when I was a kid, but that I really, really like now. I appreciate its patience. Sidney Pollack directing cruises against Gene Hackman, David Strathairn. I mean, I really like this movie. I don't know if you've seen it recently, but I watched it recently and it really holds up. I'd like to go and rewatch this one because it has been a bit and I always see it on Netflix and I watched it as a kid and I think I had the same feeling as you where I was like, oh, I like it, but it is kind of slow. But it, yeah, so I'd like to go back and give this one a, an early 90s cruise shot. Oh, man, it's so fun. I really liked where he was at at this point of his career, too. We'll kind of go, uh, we gave some love to all the Mission Impossible movies, so I'll kind of skip over those. But that has been the flagship franchise of his career. He has tried to get other franchises off the ground. I mentioned The Mummy way earlier. Jack Reacher, even like he was trying. I don't know if he wanted that to go for seven movies, but he's tried these other franchise roles and this one really took off and he's perfect in it he has adapted the the character has adapted with the time so i i'm frankly just really excited for these next two one of my all-time favorites i can't believe this came out the same year as mission impossible one jerry Maguire. i absolutely love this movie this is a once a year for me i've watched this once literally every single year at least once since it's come out it just never gets old as a movie star, you may think that Tom Cruise is like this big leading romantic man. He's actually not in his movies. Not really. This is one where he is and it works really, really well. I think this is his best romantic performance. Oh, yeah, I agree. I And, and it's uh, it's just got everything you want from a movie like this. And it's got substance. It's got a lot more going on in it than I think people might think of it when they hear the name Jerry Maguire. They, I think they associated it with like, oh, that's just, I don't know if that, that made this presumptuous on my part, but I feel like that's kind of like a reputation movies always had Yeah, is that there's a part of it that never gets taken quite seriously. And I think that that's not fair. I don't either. I think it holds up incredibly well. And I think if you haven't seen it and it's just kind of a you complete me meme to you. Go watch it. It's actually a really, really good movie. I can't believe I have to defend Jerry Maguire. It's like one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> he did get nominated for this performance, thank God. And I actually think he should have won. You have Tom Cruise, Jerry Maguire, Ralph Fiennes, The English Patient, Woody Harrelson, The People vs. Larry Flynn, Billy Bob Thornton, and Sling Blade. It's a close number two for me. 
<laughs> Jeffrey Rush wins for Shine, a movie like no one has seen now. Like I, I don't have you ever seen Shine? No. Okay, there you go. <laughs> so Tom Cruise, this should uh, to me, I would have loved that this was his movie star win. Like I really thought. Not really at the time, I was too young, but looking back now, I'm like, uh, no one was talking about Shine then, no one's talking about it now, like, this really could have happened. I would have loved if he won that. Yeah, yeah, and looking back at it, yeah. Here's the thing movie stars do not do. I said he's never let us forget that he's out there. He Movie stars do not take three years off to go make one movie. In this case, Eyes Wide Shut, he plays, he's a perfect puppet for Kubrick's dream world. I cannot say that this is quote unquote good traditional acting, but it is flawless Kubrick acting. We dove deep into this on our Kubrick episode, but I just, I love Dr. Bill. I love this movie. Uh, one of the best movies he's certainly ever been featured in. Yeah. And, and, I'll, and I'll still give it like, you know, this is that conversation of a movie star and an actor. I think Tom Cruise is both. I think, I think things just call for different things. I think a movie, when you're called upon to be a movie star, you have to be a movie star. And then when a movie calls on you to be an actor, that's when you get the chance to shine. And I think Eyes Wide Shut is very subtle, subdued, abstract, but it's, I think it's fantastic acting. I do too. One of the better Kubrick performances, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And then shortly after he wraps Eyes Wide Shut, he delivers what many consider his best performance as Frank T.J. Mackey and Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, another movie and performance we talked about a lot in our PTA pod. And this is as good as it gets from Tom Cruise. Uh, there's some aspects of it that I, I could not believe at the time that he did this and the words that come out of this character's mouth. I couldn't believe it at the time. I still can't believe it now. And if he had this in him, he's got other stuff in him like this. Let me see it. Give it to his crews. I love this character. I love this performance. I feel like there's like going to be like one performance from him where he'll get to go all out because he's given us like these little slivers of of behavior we've never seen from him and we don't really expect. And like he's done it with Magnolia. He's done it with one movie that we'll talk about, Tropic Thunder. Like, I feel like there's a part of him that is like if he gets one character where he gets to completely let loose. That might be the Oscar. Tom Cruise needs an Oscar. A movie star needs an Oscar. Paul Newman never got one, and then he got old, and they gave him a Lifetime Achievement Award, and then the next year, they gave him Best Actor. That's not the way this is supposed to work. Like, he won Best Actor yeah. for The Color Money. Brad Pitt got a producing Oscar for 12 Years a Slave, still needed that movie star Oscar, got it for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tom Cruise knows damn well he cannot win an Oscar for an action movie. He's going to want that Oscar. I really, really think so. And I think he's, that means he's going to have to, you know, be in movies by perhaps more challenging directors. I just, it's in him. It's in him. We're going to, we're going to see. I just, I really can't wait. And we've talked about this race a lot before. I'll go through it quickly. 1999, best supporting actor, Tom Cruise for Magnolia, Michael Clark Duncan for The Green Mile, Jude Law, Talented Mr. Ripley, Haley Joe Osment, The Sixth Sense, <laughs> Michael Caine wins for The Cider House Rules, Oof. The first four names I mentioned, th those are just four incredible performances. This one never aged well in terms of who won. I get it, but again, I would have given this to Cruz. So in my perfect world, he has at least two Oscars. Yeah, I, th there's no way that I wouldn't have given that to him for Magnolia. Next up, though, that knocked me away, 
Vanilla Sky, David Ames. I've yes. always appreciated this movie. This is a weird-ass movie, unlike anything else Cameron Crowe did. I frankly wish he made a bunch more movies like this. This performance is really raw to the bone for Cruise, and I, I've i never not liked this. I, I grew up loving this movie, and I still love it. I Same here. Well, yeah, I, I cannot say enough good things about this one. This is just, I think he is the perfect person to play it. For the time, for the age that he was at, for the character that he's playing, there's no one, I don't think, that that could do it as good. Yeah, yeah. And I really believe when, like, he falls into such despair. It's it's a very I, – mm-hmm. I just always believe the conviction of it. Ugh. Minority Report, I think the best movie and performance he did with Spielberg. I love that movie. That thing really, really holds up. The Last Samurai, a fun one. I actually haven't seen that in several years, but then we get to an all-timer, something that I genuinely did not know he had in him, the villainous hitman Vincent from Michael Mann's Collateral. Great movie, great villainous performance. I I just don't know how Michael Mann talked Cruz into this. I don't. (laughs) Yeah, it's. uh, I remember the first time I saw it, I actually didn't like him in it, which is really funny. I don't know. I was an idiot. And I just was thinking, oh, he's trying to be a bad guy. He's trying. He's trying. And then I rewatched it later and I go, he's so good. I don't know what I was. That was all pre preconceived notion. And like funny, he's able to inject humor when you don't really like, you know, just the way he walks into that alley like, yo, I mean, oh my God, there are moments when he's really genuinely funny in this. War of the Worlds. You a War of the Worlds fan? I'm a really big fan of the first uh, act, if not the first half. Yeah. Oh, okay. So then it falls apart for you? Well, I got a thing with invasion movies. They're a thing that I really love. I love the idea of all invasion movies where aliens come down. I think it's a genuinely interesting and terrifying topic for anyone to think of, but I've never seen one work. It's fully. And I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want from one of these movies. All I know is that everyone I've seen has never given me from start to finish a satisfying invasion movie feeling to me. It's because the aliens never win. <laughs> I guess that's true. You got to let the aliens win. <laughs> then yeah, you like them. It's true. Actually, it's actually I can, uh, very true. I could throw a few your way that you may like. I can't reveal what they are because it, we, it would be like spoiler territory. But Spielberg had never been mean like this. We had seen alien movies, E.T., nice aliens, Close Encounters, nice aliens. He'd never done it like this. And yeah, that the first half of this movie just, you know, I have here, this is like a genuine old school disaster thriller. It's imperfect, but it is made by masters. And it was a hell of a lot of fun to see this in the movie theater. I still remember that. Yeah, I saw it in the movie theater too. Let's do Tropic Thunder, where he's playing Les Grossman, kind of a, a mashup of Joel Silver, Weinstein, Scott Rudin. That I mean, God bless him for doing this. I still, <laughs> I think he says more f bombs in this performance than combined throughout his entire career. Like, what a nut job! This movie is uh, insane. I they made this right on the edge of being allowed to make something like this, and I don't yeah. even know if they were ever like uh, allowed to make it, but. Holy shit, this thing is. This thing still zings, and his work in it is still uh, probably the highlight of the film for me, honestly. One of my favorite cuts of that movie is when Tom Cruise is like really like he's screaming into the phone. He's like, I will fuck you up. <laughs> and it cuts to McConaughey, and he just gives like that upper lip. Like he's like, yeah, get him, yeah. get him. And just just that little moment, it's a great cut that makes that whole entire – because that's what we're feeling as the right. audience, and we see it in McConaughey's face. It's a good cut. I agree. 
And then his career takes, he's done this thing basically since like 2010, where he will do a, a few movies that maybe aren't that well received, don't make a lot of money. Things like Night and Day, Rock of Ages, even Jack Reacher. Jack Reacher was kind of a hit. Oblivion, The Mummy, the sequel to Jack Reacher, American Made. Some of those I like, some of those I didn't. But he always has these Mission Impossibles to fall off on. So it's Night and Day one year, then the next year it's Ghost Protocol. It's Oblivion, but then the next year, it's Rogue Nation. That's a really, really smart way for a movie star to set up his career. I think the one really highlight in that that isn't a Mission Impossible movie is The Edge of Tomorrow, which took on Fuck such yeah. a cult status like immediately. I am ashamed to admit I've only seen this once in the theater, and this sounds like something that gets better and better and better. So I actually might put this one on right as we're done you know, potting. It was either going to be this or The Firm because <laughs> I haven't seen The Firm in so long. I didn't know you were a fan of this. Dude, Do you like it? Edge of Tomorrow? I love Dude, this movie. it's a badass I've movie. I've seen this movie like four okay, times. shit. It's, it's not on streaming anywhere right now. Let us see your movies, assholes. I'm going to have to, I'll rent it. This one, I think, actually stands the the test of time in terms of an action movie. I think this movie's done doing a lot of really interesting things. It's a, it's a whole entire thing that we've seen a million times in terms of the device that it uses for its storytelling, but I think it does it better than than a lot of the other ones. And I, I thought we were supposed to get a sequel to this. I thought they were going to continue it. I don't know. They even it's, tried to like change the title to like Live, Die, Repeat or something. Well, I, that was supposed to be the title right, of the movie. Exactly. Originally, yep. that was the title, and then they like made them change it, and then they went back with that one, but I, I don't know. What an interesting you know kind of history that one's had. Yeah, I got to watch it again for sure. We didn't deep dive on all of his movies, but we just wanted to give kind of an overview of his career and why we like him. This is one of the last truly great movie stars. I mean, it's him. It's Brad. It's Leo. I'm talking people who can actually sell a movie like The Revenant made like $500 million. That movie doesn't make $500 million unless Leo is in it. It's the only reason that movie made that amount of money. That's right. Tom Cruise can sell a movie and he can sell it out. And we do not have much of that anymore. So noting all of that and all these performances we touched on and all these gaps you have, which are fine. We're going to do top five crews each. Five, four, three, two, one. You go first. There are no wrong answers. Let's do it. All right. So I'm going with the one that was my about face is number five, and that's Collateral. Ooh, very good. Very good. Ah, that's my yep. number four. So we knocked out my four. So that's I'm, I always wonder how many we're going to have in common here. I love Vincent and Collateral. My number five, though, is Lieutenant Daniel Caffey, A Few Good Men. I love that movie, and I love him in it. Oh, my God. So oh, good. That's one that didn't make my that's list. That's okay. And I, it's, it's, uh, it's the one that I was like, God damn it. God damn it. But my number four would be The Color of Money. Oh, very good. That's one that didn't make yep. up my list, so that's good. That is probably, like, going into the 80s, that would be my favorite performance of the 80s yep. from him. I love Vince. My number four was Collateral, as mentioned, so let's go right up to your number three. Number three, Eyes Wide Shut. So is mine. That's awesome. Dr. Bill coming in at number Boom. three. It's a good place for it, you know, because I don't think it is his objective best but i still think it's really really good and very very odd i love it yep well i think we may have the same number two oh, here no number two my number two is magnolia okay okay interesting well then my number two is actually jerry Maguire because i love him and i love him in that man i love that movie so you can guess what my number one is what's your number one 
All right. So my number, well, you go, you, you, your number one, say it, because I said Magnolia, it. yes. my. So I'm. Okay. So let me round mine out. I have five A Few Good Men, four Collateral, three Eyes Wide Shut, two Jerry Maguire, one Magnolia. I can only imagine your number one, Lines for Lambs. My, yeah. <laughs> I actually like that he did that. I movie did too. I did because too. we breezed that, right over it, but I did appreciate we, that he did it. It's not a very good movie, but it's I like that he did it. But he wanted to work with Redford and yep. Streep. Yep. That's what it was. Exactly. And he took a supporting role and he's like, fuck it, let's yeah. go. But my number one, without a doubt, Vanilla Sky. Oh God. So good. So and good. So I have to preface it with this story is because I saw this movie maybe like within the year it came out on video. No idea what it was about. None. Oh, interesting. And so what I got was like, I don't even want to spoil it in case no one's ever seen it, but something happens to him in this movie that I'm like, am I really watching Tom Cruise? Am I watching a guy go through this level of despair and like torture? Like I, 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 and and for vanity's sake, like I just thought there was so much about this movie that that he just blew me away. I did not think that he could be as good as he was. And so I have a very strong relationship to this movie and for him, because again, like I was saying, like he is a perfect character for this type of guy. This beautiful, playboy, rich, arrogant guy, and then something's the worst thing that could happen to somebody like him happens. Right. Right. He has great. He does things in this movie that he has never he has not done in a movie since. I mean, nope. in terms of the intensity, in terms of scenes and situations his character finds himself in, it it kind of feels like he, you know, left a lot on the field with it. And again, not to keep harping back to this, but I do think we're gonna get other stuff like this in the years to come. Yep. Maybe not exactly like this, but just pushing himself to new levels of desperation. He goes to places in here that he doesn't even go to in Magnolia because that's just not the character in Magnolia. Right. right. He he goes to these very, very weird, dark places of humanity that you just don't expect him to do. And he does it flawlessly. Oh, God, does he ever. So fun to talk about Cruz. You know, I mean... I hope we. This is not the end of us talking about Tom Cruise. We're gonna. He's gonna keep making movies, as noted. So we're gonna have more and more reasons to talk about him. But wow, ten years from now, I cannot wait to see what new performances there are. You know what else he comes up with that extend beyond action. But let's move on to what are you watching here? It can be anything you want. Dealer's choice. You want to go first, or you want me to go first? I think I should go first because I'm doubling down. All right, go for it. And I don't know if that'll be a letdown because maybe <laughs> like so. The one I was I was going to double down with is the color of money. Oh, very good, very good. Why should people watch it? For what what I said earlier is that it's a gem that goes unnoticed by all three major components of that movie. It's a Scorsese movie, a Paul Newman movie, a Tom Cruise movie that nobody talks about, and it is so good from start to finish. It is, uh, I can't, I can't, I was going to say, it's one of my favorite Scorsese. I feel like every movie is like one of my favorite Scorsese movies. (laughs) We start talking about it, but certainly my favorite of the 80s. It really, really moves. It moves so, so well. Sorry, I cut you off. You said outside of Raging Bull. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. Yeah, of course, that's fair. But it just moves so well. So people go check that one out. If you want a really fun double feature, watch that and After Hours because they were made very closely and they had the same type of really, really manic energy. 
Mine is not a double down, though I do appreciate you doing that because that's a great movie. What are you watching? We own this city. 2022, six episode long miniseries. The final episode just aired on HBO, created by David Simon and George Pelicanos. Oh. This, you could look at this as a sem- semi sequel to The Wire. However, the difference is that. Every single person in We Own This City is based on a real person. And wow, this is intense. Every episode is directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green. He directed a great indie called Monsters and Men. Most notably, he directed King Richard. This is based on a book of the same name by Baltimore Sun reporter Justin Fenton. I'm re- actually reading that book now. What is this about? This miniseries is about the vast real-life corruption within the Baltimore Police Department. Corruption that has gone on very recently. It's such deep corruption, but it goes so high within the local government. This is not a show or miniseries meant to make you feel good. This is meant to call attention to something very fucking bad. David Simon is a lifelong resident of Baltimore. He still lives there. He has seen America give up on this city in his lifetime. If you've seen The Wire and you're like, wow, I hope, you know, it came up out of it well, (laughs) it hasn't. It hasn't. It's only gotten worse. Freddie Gray made it so much worse. The characters that are in the show, the cops in the show, made it so much worse. John Bernthal, this contains his best performance to date, playing an absolute fucking monster. Jamie Hector. Oh, was exciting. Oh, man. Jamie Hector, who's Marlo Stanfield in The Wire. You're going to see a very different gear from him. Josh Charles, who I've loved literally since Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. I absolutely love that guy. <laughs> He's a total shithead here. Perfect cast. You know, Pelicanos is a great author. Drama City, The Night Gardener, two of my favorite books from him. He's born in D.C., so he lives there. They know this area very well. He also worked on The Wire. Um, As mentioned, Baltimore is one of the great cities that America gave up on. I went there as a kid. I went to Orioles games. I went to the harbor. I went downtown for dinners when I got older and could drive. It's not safe anymore. The crime is bad. A lot of things are bad. And just because the crime is bad you and that is being done by people, quote-unquote, by criminals, it is the institutions that have let them down. This show captures that so fucking well. This is really important to watch, for everyone to watch. We own this city, HBO. Damn. That was a good recommendation. Oh, thank you. I would love if you checked this out and we could talk about it. But, yeah, I deviated. I just, I've been wanting to talk about that so long, but... Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to our Tom Cruise deep dive. Go see Top Gun Maverick. Amen. Okay, superstar, this is Knockout signing off. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and happy watching. You're a lousy fucking softball player, Jack. (laughs) I had to get one in there. Sorry. Hey everyone, thanks again for listening. You can watch my films and read my movie blog at alexwithrow.com. NicholasDostal.com is where you can find all of Nick's film work. Send us mailbag questions at whatareyouwatchingpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at W-A-Y-W underscore podcast. In honor of David Cronenberg's supremely weird new film, Crimes of the Future, next time I'm going to review that movie and look at Cronenberg's overall career, one of my favorite directors. Stay tuned. <laughs>